Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word comes from, yet everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Everything from mountaintop beauty and deep forest to meth heads and extreme prejudice. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet to the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed downright unbelievable and tormenting historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from hauntings to cryptic creatures that show up and wreak havoc on their homesteads. The worst creature, though, may be man himself. I, being born and raised in these Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond a pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey through these mountains, where things are not always as they seem. I guarantee you it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Season 2 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back, my good friends. Thanks for stopping by again. Now, we who live in these mountains have seen some pretty odd things happen. Now, these odd things may not be something you'd want to tell everybody about because given the right situation you just might find yourself looking out the window of a padded room now that is the padded rooms i'll hear all about to have windows in them to start with but there are odd things that have happened that we can talk about that are backed up by recorded history sometimes i wonder if just looking at true history won't cause me to wind up in the padded room the way things are going nowadays but that's what we do here despite it all now, being that it's Thanksgiving and all, I found it only fitting to tell a story about an oddity that happened all over the Appalachian Mountains on Thanksgiving of 1950. So sit on back there, and I'll try not to take up too much of your holiday time with this one. Happy Thanksgiving, my good friends. Rumor has it that we hillbillies have quite the affinity for good food and a whole lot of it. So that would be the one reason that I myself look forward every year to the Thanksgiving holiday. And that was no different back on November 23rd, 24th, and 25th of 1950 when a big swath of the Appalachian Mountain folk prepared for the big feast and got themselves all readied up to drop it while it's hot. While all of that was going on, though, weather had its own idea of what lay ahead. Even back in 1950, the weather forecasts were a bit sketchy at best, and we all know how good they are today, don't we? <laughs> Thank goodness that they've actually come quite a way, and nowadays are able to at least know when a bad one's coming. But to start off with, an Arctic cold front passed over the Appalachians from Carolinas all the way north to Canada, late on the 23rd and 20, into the 24th. The front passed through eastern Kentucky around midnight, and the change in the air temperature was about as big a one as it had ever been seen. Temperatures took a nosedive from the 40s and 50s just ahead of the front to the teens right behind it. A thin but heavy band of snow was marching itself right behind the temperature drop, 
with as much as seven inches falling across southeast Kentucky on the morning of the 24th. Now, being that we all consider Thanksgiving to be the kickoff of the holiday season, I reckon folks would have been thinking that the snow was perfect to set the mood for the season. And that was if it stopped there. But that wasn't the end of it. Temperatures across eastern Kentucky by the morning of the 25th were in single digits and some barely into the teens and still dropping. Low pressure developed in the cold front over the Carolinas on the 25th, and once that happened, the quaint little band of snow that was so beautiful turned into a monster and quickly moved north, striking western Pennsylvania, eastern Ohio, and West Virginia the hardest, but certainly didn't leave anybody from the Carolinas all the way to Canada out of it either. Many locations in those three states saw snowfalls greater than 30 inches. In fact, 62 inches in Coburn Creek, West Virginia, Steubenville, Ohio, got just over 44 inches and had snow drifts up to 25 feet tall. But the storm wasn't done. I guess it figured that it hadn't done enough. Uh, you know, like all the warped things do, or warped things that happen, or deviant things that happen, I should say, better yet. Bitter cold also just hung around like it was waiting on a train, didn't show up. But the area with the most locations recording temperatures in the single digits to near zero on the 24th and 25th were Middleton, Kentucky, which hit three degrees, and that's the Fahrenheit scale. Williamsburg, Kentucky, one degrees. One degree, I should say. I don't think that's multiple, is it? But there was Somerset, Kentucky, at negative two degrees. All of these were still record low temperatures for much of the of November and is still low, the low records today. Now, as we all who watch college football know, the classic Ohio State-Michigan football game was scheduled for that Saturday afternoon in Columbus. The Big Ten Championship and a trip to the Rose Bowl was on the line. So with the Saturday morning temperatures of 5 degrees and the winds at 40 miles an hour, uh, folks, you've heard of it. The infamous Blizzard Bowl was played in Columbus. Michigan actually eked out a win 9-3 to on 27 total yards gained without anybody even achieving a single first down. Folks, you can pull this up on YouTube. It's unbelievable to watch. And I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Folks, this storm was very unique because it didn't only have extremely strong winds and heavy snow, but both record low and high temperatures all whipped together. For example, Buffalo, New York didn't get a flake of snow, but it had a up to 50 mile an hour winds and 50 degree temperatures. Now, power was out of more than a million customers during this storm. It actually affected 22 states, killing 353 people and creating $66.7 million in damage. Folks, that's about $780 million in today's money. The insurance company, I'm sure, were tickled pink that they paid more money out of their pilot to the policyholders for damages from this storm than any other in history at that point. And it still ranks somewhere in the top 10 most costly storms to ever hit this country. Buildings and houses collapsed under the weight of many feet of snow. Roads were closed, trains, buses canceled, and people couldn't leave their homes for days because the snow drifted over the front doors and windows, and they couldn't even tell if it was daylight or dark outside unless they looked at the clock. Milk, bread, and 
Other delivery services couldn't get through either. Now, back then, folks, a milkman actually came by your house to leave your milk. That was a service they still carried when I was a little feller, and our milkman's name was Elmer Fuddrucker. I remember him well because I pulled out my pearl-handled cap pistol and shot him one day. Sure enough, old Elmer fell over dead in the bushes, and I ran in the house and hid. Sure enough, when I looked out the window, old Elmer had dragged himself to the truck, and both of them were gone. I guess apparently he'd went and tried to find some medical attention somewhere, so I figured I'd dodge the noose on that one. School buses were also completely halted, and it was a great day to be in that neighborhood, I guess, if you was a student. At least that was the first thing that came to their minds anyway. Snow clearing was a whole lot different back in too, folks. They hadn't yet started using salt or any of these chemical blends that they use today. Uh, not that the, with the temperatures being as low as they would have, well, or got, they would have done much good anyway, but it took the worst hit areas almost a month to get things operational again. Folks had it <clears throat> had to wait, excuse me, <clears throat> as long in some cases to be able to bury their loved ones as up to a month who were killed in the storm. But uh, today there are folks still around who remember the great Thanksgiving storm of 1950, and my dad's one of them. He was 10 years old, and he has pictures of him and his dog Trixie out in the snow that was almost two feet deep. Trixie was what was known as an Eskimo Spitz, so she was having a blast out in the snow. Now, the unique tenets of this storm are said to be a once-in-a-generation type of event, and in fact, nothing like it's happened since, folks. So let's all hope that we get a little bit of snow for the holidays, but let's not overdo it, all right? I hope you enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast. Please join us on the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. And I'll be right back soon here, I guess, with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend. Now, I can tell by the look on the lovely and gracious Mrs. Bentley's face that it's a time to eat. I guess it's Happy Thanksgiving, folks. See you next time.